So we're in week three of our series on the book of Ephesians. Are y'all enjoying it so far? Have y'all been reading the book of Ephesians? There's a lot of great nuggets there that, uh, that you can just, um, that you can unearth if you'll just take the time to read it. I encourage you to read it. And uh, today we're going to continue. Our first week we talked about our great spiritual inheritance. In week two we talked about the spiritual blessing of prayer. How many of you know prayer is powerful and can make a tremendous difference? So today we're going to talk about the difference that Christ makes. How many of you know Christ makes a difference? Or does it really matter? Does it matter that you become a Christian? You know, in our day, in our society, it's almost like it doesn't really matter, right? But how many of you know it makes a big difference, right? Uh, is there a really big difference between a follower of Christ and someone who does it? Is there really a difference between someone who is genuinely a Christian and someone who just goes to church? How many of you know those are not the same? You can be a church goer and never be a Christian. But how many of you know there's a vast difference? Amen. You ever wonder what exactly that difference is? Well, I believe that today... As Paul addresses the Ephesians, he answers that question. He answers the question of what difference does Christ make? And in Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 1, he says to the Ephesian church, he says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging, the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, transgressions made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And He raised us up with Him, seated us with Him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, He might show the surpassing riches of His grace in the kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Now in this passage of scripture, Paul takes the time to articulate the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. And he begins, first of all, talking about the spiritual condition of non-Christians. And so he begins to unpack that. And in in verse 3, in three verses rather, in chapter 2, he gives us five characteristics of non-Christians. And the first one is this, non-Christians are spiritually dead. And that's what he says there in verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now, what does it mean to be dead in your trespasses? Obviously, he's not talking about being physically dead. He's talking about being spiritually dead. And so uh, Paul is saying that without Christ, the spirit that's on the inside of you is dead. The spiritual part that has the ability to relate and communicate and connect with God, it's not working. It's dead. The part of you that will live for eternity is dead. That's what he's saying. And so in the natural, you can't see the difference But in the spirit, there's a vast difference. And we need to be reminded of that. Uh, Brady, would you do me a favor and just jump up here real quick, please, sir? You know, let's say Brady and I, uh, let's say I'll I'll be the non-Christian for this analogy. Let's say Brady, he's an on-fire Christian. Amen. How many believe that's true of Brady, right? But let's say I'm 
I'm a heathen, like Fred Sanford, you know. I'm a heathen, and I don't have Christ in me. When you look at us in the natural, it doesn't look like there's any difference. In fact, you might say, well, he's more handsome than you. He looks like he's better. He's doing better than you. In the natural, it doesn't seem like there's any difference. But how many of you know whenever you get below the skin and you look down into the, into the spirit of man, there's a vast difference, folks. There's a big difference, right? How many of you are glad Brady's a Christian? I'm working on it. I'm working. Thank you, Brady. But you know what? Here, here's the point. In the natural, you can't tell. Like in this church, there's a number of people here. We don't know who's true, genuine believers or not. But how many of you know the Lord knows? But see, some of us, we might be here today, but we're dead in our trespasses. Now, there's two reasons why Paul says we might be dead. First of all, he says, in your trespasses. You're dead in your trespasses, which means to wander from the path, a failure to hold to the path. And so, you know, remember Isaiah 53 says, we all like sheep have gone astray, gone our own way. That's off the path. And so the point is some are walking around spiritually dead because they're choosing to go their own way and do their own thing. That's the problem, right? And so the second reason he said we're dead is because of our sins, and, and which means a failure to hit the mark of God's standard. How many of you know he's got a standard, Right? And so the reality, some are spiritually dead because they're breaking God's laws and they're failing to reach God's standard of righteousness. And the Bible says in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is... The problem with trespasses and sins is it kills you. It negatively affects your lives. It cuts you off from God. It blocks your ability to communicate and to connect with God. The first characteristic of a non-Christian is they're dead spiritually. But number two, non-Christians have a bent to follow the course of this world. And that's what he says there in verse one. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. Verse two, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. There are two courses we can follow. There's the course or the path of the Lord. And there's the course or path of the world. How many of you know there's two different courses? You know, again, I think in church entity that we've made that one. But there's two. Hello? There's two. It's two totally different courses or paths of life. Non-Christians by default follow the path of the world. They can't help it. They just follow the path of the world. The course of this world, it means its values, its behavior, its philosophies, its culture, all of those things. Not the physical world, but the spirit of the world. And, and Romans 12, 2 says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn how to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Now, the problem with following the course of the world, it's, it will always lead you out of the will of God. Come on, how many of you know it will always, you can't follow two courses. You either follow God's course or you follow the words, the world's course. You can't ride those two horses. Amen. And so in Matthew 7, Jesus said this. He said in verse 13, enter through the narrow gate for the wide, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. 
But small is the gate, narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now, Jesus reiterates two paths we can follow. And he says, first of all, there, one path is broad, and there are many people on it, and it leads to destruction. And then he says there's a narrow path, and that there's, there's a lot less people on it, but it's the path that leads to life. How many of you know that's the path we need to get on right there? Now, the problem is that non-Christians take the wrong path, the path that leads to destruction. How many of you want to get off of that path and stay off of that path? Amen. So they're following the course of the world. But number three, a third spiritual characteristic of the non-Christian is non-Christians live under the control and rule of Satan. Notice again in verse two, he says, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Ever wonder why non-Christians live their lives on the wrong path? Here it is. It's the influence of the prince of the power of the air. Now, a question. Who is the prince of the power of the air? It is. It's Satan. It's the devil. Satan influences people to go their own way and do their own thing and to follow the course of the world. And in, in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, Paul said, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. Remember when Jesus was tempted, Satan came and said, look, look at all these things in the world. I'll give those to you if you bow down and serve me, if you worship me. See, there's a God in this world. And so we have to understand there's two systems, there's two paths, there's two spirits out there. There's the spirit of the Lord and there's the spirit of the world. There's the path of the Lord and there's the path of the world. Come on. Are y'all with me? You see, and I think sometimes we forget that. But here's a sobering thought. It's the God of this world that's constantly influencing people to copy its behaviors, its culture, its values, and its ways. Really, the influence behind that is Satan himself. So every human has a dominant force influencing their lives. Christians have the Holy Spirit to lead them and to guide them. Amen? And But the non-believer has the spirit of the God of this world that's guiding them on the path of destruction. Come on. How many of you, how many of you are getting glad right now that you're a Christian? Amen? So non-believers are ruled and influenced and controlled by the prince of, of the air. A fourth characteristic of the non-Christian is non-Christians are powerless over their fleshly lusts and ungodly desires. Ephesians 2.3 says, Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Now, our flesh means our sinful cravings, our sinful impulses, our carnal and evil cravings. It's that part of us that, that doesn't want to follow the Lord, that resists the Spirit of God in our life. And so listen, when you're not a Christian, you have this huge disadvantage in life. And the disadvantage is having no power over your fleshly desires or your carnal cravings. And so you have to give in to them or you tend to just give in to them. Now, listen, it doesn't mean that Christians never give in to them. But how many of you know you have something working on your behalf, which is the Holy Spirit that will help you to overcome? You don't have to rob that bank. Amen. Come on. Now, why, why, which is, uh, you know, the reason why non-Christians live on the wrong path is because mainly because of this. Because they have no control of their fleshly desires. So they get a thought, they get a desire, they get a craving, boom, they're going for it. 
and they ended up on the wrong path. This is, this is a picture of the, of the life that is dominated by the flesh. Galatians 5.19 says, The deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. That's a picture of the person that's under the domination of his flesh. Non-Christians, according to Paul, are powerless over that. He said, you used, to, you used to be given over to that, but as a believer, you're not. A fifth spiritual characteristic of the non-Christian that Paul mentions here in, in Ephesians 2 is that non-Christians are living under the judgment and the wrath of God. Ephesians 2.3 says... Among them you all formerly lived in the lust of your flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Children of wrath, meaning they're living under the eternal judgment of God. Folks, do y'all believe in the eternal judgment of God? Do y'all believe that? You know, I, I, the devil would like us to take that out of our doctrine. Right? I'm going to say it again. The devil would like us to forget about Judgment Day. Because I tell you, Judgment Day helps you to live the Christian life. Amen. amen. Come on, I need a better amen this morning. Am I talking to the church here this morning? And so non-Christians are destined for God's wrath and the eternal separation from God. Ephesians 5, Paul says, same book. He says, don't be fooled by those who try to excuse their sins for the terrible wrath of God is upon all those who do them. Now, if you read up a little bit before this verse, he kind of unpacks that thought. But so what's the life of the non-Christian look like? If you're not a believer, uh, not, listen, not if you go to church, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, asked him to forgive your sins and got born again, what is your life like? Here's what it's like. You're spiritually dead. You follow the course of the world. You live under the control and rule of Satan. You're powerless over your fleshly lusts and desires, godly, ungodly desires, and you're destined for the wrath and judgment of God. Does it really matter that we are Christians and live the Christian life? Does it really matter? Well, when you unpack those five characteristics, you better believe, right? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. How many of you know Christ totally transforms and changes a person's life? You know, somebody said, you know, they should take a, they should have a, a picture or, or make a bulletin board of people that were what they look like, their driver's license picture before they became a Christian and after they became a Christian, right? The transformation, right? And so, man, you know, Christ totally transforms your life. And so how does Christ change somebody's life? By the way, how many of you have your life changed since you became a Christian? How many of you are glad about that? Amen. Now, some of us has been more dramatic than others. Some of us, you know, we were born on the front pew. And so we're like, you know, I never murdered anybody. I didn't smoke dope, cuss, chew, you know, hang out with those that do, you know, all that. But how many of you know there is a transformation that takes place? So now Paul begins now. That was all the negative. Now let's turn the corner. And Paul begins to unpack the value of 
the difference Christ makes. And he says there in verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And raised us up with him, seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Now, if you unpack that a little slower, you would notice the characteristics of the Christ-like life. But I want you to notice in verse 4, he begins with these two words. These two shattering words. These e two eternal changing words. But God. But God. How many of those are powerful words? But God. That's what he says there. But God. Here's our hope, saints. But God. Here, here's, here's what we can hang our hat on. But God, but God, but God being rich in mercy. I'm telling you, I didn't deserve salvation. I don't deserve to be in the family of God, but I'm sure grateful I am. What about you? But God, who's rich in mercy, right? Because of his great love, which he loved us. Thank God for his grace and mercy. How many of you feel like you earned God's salvation? You work. Well, by grace, you're saved. Not as a result of your good works, ma'am or sir, right? We can't reach the standard, but by his mercy and grace. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve, like his love. But mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve, his wrath. All of us have sinned. All of us fall short. Each of us is going our own way. We all deserve the wrath, but thank God for his mercy. Amen. Thank God because of his great love and mercy that we can be changed and transformed. Amen. It's because of his grace and mercy that comes through Jesus Christ where our lives can be totally and completely changed. Amen. Does being a Christian make a difference? And the answer is, so what's that transformation look like? Well, Paul gives us, lays out a picture, three main characteristics. The first one is this. We've been made alive with Christ. Verse 2, verse 5, he says, even when we're dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. What did God do? He made us spiritually alive. Yes, amen. Every human needs to experience two, two experience, two, two births of a natural birth, but how many of you know we all need the spiritual birth, right? You know, whenever I think about this, it's like if you were to put some spiritual paddles on us before you become a Christian, you'd be flatlined. But then after you became a Christian, or spiritually speaking, you got a beat. You got a heartbeat. Amen. Come on, it's like that baby. Whenever that baby comes out of the womb, it comes out of the womb and there's silence for a little while. And then all of a sudden, you know, whether the doctor just kind of encourages them or something, but all of a sudden that baby just like, Wah! all of a sudden life comes and you know that baby is fully alive, right? Come on, how many of you know God has made us fully alive, spiritually speaking? When Nicodemus, who was a religious ruler, was interested in the kingdom of God, he asked the Lord, how do you get in? How do you enter the kingdom? And Jesus said in John 3, 5, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 5, he says, uh, in verse 5, Jesus replied, I assure you that no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of the water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. 
When a woman becomes born again or a man becomes born again, he is made spiritually alive. You become resuscitated. When somebody loses their heartbeat, they'll put those paddles on them and poof, and, and a lot of times they'll, they'll, they'll regain their heartbeat. Well, spiritually speaking, we were all born spiritually without a heartbeat. And God, in His mercy and His grace, He made us alive. He resuscitated us. Amen? How many of you are Christians in here? Let me see your hand. You're alive. You need to know you're alive. Christ enlivened you with His Spirit. Amen? You might not feel alive right now, but I'm telling you, spiritually speaking... You are alive. The spirit inside of you is alive. The spirit that can communicate and connect with God is alive. The spirit that will live forever and ever is alive. Amen. Now, in the natural, it might not look like there's no difference. In fact, you know, the person that's not a Christian might seem like they got more going on than the non-Christian. But you got to peel the veil back. You got to look beyond the natural. You got to look into the spiritual. Amen. And so, remember, if I brought two people up here, it wouldn't look like there's much difference. But is there a difference, y'all? You better believe there is. 1 Corinthians 15, 22 says, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. I'm alive again. Amen? So that's why whenever you hear stories of people sharing their testimony after they became a Christian... You know, they'll tell you, man, I'll tell you, I was, I was depressed. I was down and out. I was living in the gutter. I was, I was in darkness and I was doing all. And then all of a sudden they became a Christian and things changed because they became alive. The second characteristic of the Christian is this. We've been raised up with him. And that's what he says there in verse 6. And raised us up with him. What does it mean when Christ raised us up with, it, with him? It means every Christian now can receive the power of the resurrection operating in our life, not just for eternity, but every day. Amen. And, and you know, I think Romans 6 gives us a picture. There's a few verses here, but let's read. Romans 6, 5 says, Since you have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. And we are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead. He will never die again. Death no longer has power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin, but alive to God through Christ Jesus. Amen. And listen, all those verses, all those verses in a nutshell, I believe mean this. It means born again Christians. We've received the power to be free from all the negative characteristics of the non-Christian life. Amen. So here's what it looks like. We've received power to be resuscitated spiritually. We're no longer dead. We're no longer without the power and the presence of God. Amen. We have the ability. We've been given what it takes to connect with God. Number two, we receive the power to be delivered from the course of this world. We don't have to go. We don't have 
have to swim, swim downstream with the world. Bless God. We can swim upstream. Amen. Number three, we receive the power to break free from the control and rule of Satan. Amen. How many of you know we don't have to be under the power of the prince of the power of the air anymore? We can live under the power of God. We receive the power to break sin off our lives. We in Romans 6 and 7, for when he died, when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And it doesn't mean that we never sin, but it means we don't practice sin. We don't live in sin. Bless God, we have the power to overcome it. Amen. Amen. And then we receive power to, to be pardoned from the wrath and judgment of God. Eternal death and destruction has been broken off of our lives. Whenever we face the judgment seat of the Lord, he's going to say, hey, is his name in the book of life? Is our name in the book of life? And they'll look down there and they see Cody's name and they said, yeah, Cody Arsenault, he's right here. And the angel's going to, I think the bugles, the shofars, everything's going to begin blowing. The trumpets are going to sound and everybody's going to cheer and Cody's going to walk waltz in to the presence of God. Amen. He's going to be high stepping that day. Amen. Come on. How many of you believe that this morning? Come on. We've received. He's raised us up. He's raised us up. I'm glad about that. Does it really matter that we're Christians? Yes, it does. The third and last characteristic of the Christian is this. We've been seated with him in heavenly places. We've been seated with him. And, and, and that's what he says in verse six. He raised us up with him. And he seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So where is Christ seated? Remember we talked about it just a few weeks ago. Verse 20 says, which he, Ephesians 1.20, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And what did he do? And seated him at, the, at his right hand in, the, in heavenly places. Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Where, saints? In heavenly places. Well, listen, not only is Christ seated at the right hand of the Father, Christ is seated and he's empowered. Verse 21 says, he's above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Verse 22 says, God put all things in subjection under his feet. The spiritual position of Christ is he is in a position of authority. Amen. Every knee has to bow to him. Every tongue has to confess that he is Lord. And he's exercised his authority long before he was seated in heaven. You remember as he walked on the earth, he exercised his authority in Matthew 4. He exercised over his authority over Satan's temptation. Satan tried to get him on the wrong course, but he overcame. He overcame by the authority the Father gave him. In Luke 8, he exercised authority over the storm. He said to the winds and the waves, hush, be still. And everybody was amazed. Wow, how could he do that? In Luke 8, he also exercised authority over sickness and disease and he cursed sickness and he cursed disease and he made it come out and he healed people that were terminally ill. In Luke 8, Jesus exercised authority over demons by casting out the devils out of the demoniac. I mean, the demons were subject to him. See, Jesus knew his position and his place of authority. He was seated at the right hand of the Father. But now here's the kicker. 
What's our position? What's our spiritual position? The Bible says we are seated with him in heavenly places. We're seated with him. So verse 6 says, we are seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, this is very important that we understand that because we are positioned with Christ. And the Bible says in Ephesians 1.22, God has put all things under the power of Christ and for the good of the church, he has made him the head of everything. Why did he seat him in a place of authority? For the church. For you and I, for the, not the building, but the people, the born again believers. He's put him at the right hand of the Father for the church. Amen. And so we, futuristically, we're positioned with authority. Just as he had authority, we are positioned with spiritual authority. Amen. And so futuristically, when we die, the Bible says we get to reign with Christ. We're not getting thrown into the bottomless pit. We're reigning with Christ. Revelation 22, 5. We will reign forever and ever. Amen? Listen, you might have had a bad week, a bad month, a bad year, a bad life, but one day you're going to reign with him. Amen? So futuristically we're going to reign, but presently we're, gonna, we're positioned with authority. In Luke 10, 19, he said, Look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. And you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. What was Jesus saying? He's saying, I'm giving you authority. In, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus told Peter in verse 18, I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my... And the powers of hell will not... Conquer it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you forbid on earth will be forbid in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. What's he saying? I've given you authority. Church, I'm giving you authority in the spirit realm over all the power of the enemy. Why? Because we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Amen? Come on, you know, whenever, whenever you get on a, a lifted place, an elevated place, you have a place of position, of authority. You can see everything, and the Lord is on the seat. He's on the seat of authority. He's overlooking the entire world, and he's overlooking the church of God. He's overlooking the Christians that are living their life for Christ, and he's saying, hey, I've given you power, and I've given you authority. Amen. I've given it to the church so that they could exercise it, and they could win their spiritual battles. Amen. Come on. How many of you are glad you're a Christian today? Is everybody the same Christian or non-Christian? No, no. And so the question is, are we exercising our authority? Or, or have we, are we exercising our spiritual authority that God has given us? Are we living in the position that Christ died to put us in? You know, I said a couple of weeks ago about that analogy of the chicken and the eagle. And, uh, you know, God created chickens. Nothing wrong with a chicken. But an eagle gets to live a higher life than a chicken. Right? They get to soar. They get to see views. And so sometimes, you know, we're an eagle and we're like we're living in a chicken coop because we don't know our position. We don't know who we are. We don't know as a believer, what we've been given. Amen? So I think we need to come out of the chicken coop 
and start soaring like the eagles that Christ made us to be. What do you believe? Come on. Are you, are you with me today? So now, after, after talking about all this, what should we do concerning all this? Well, first of all, I think we should purpose in our heart. You know, it's kind of like the Lord is, is he's equipped us. He's given us the, the ammunition to live the victorious Christian life, but we're not exercising it. We're not utilizing it. And you can just begin to utilize it by just saying, Jesus, in the name of Jesus. He said, believers in my name will cast out devils. Come on, how many of you know that all you got to do is start, come on, use your ammunition, use the power that God has given you, amen? And just begin to just use it for your life and begin to take, take authority over the things that are coming against your life and your family, amen? How many of you think that's a good start right there? But you know what? Listen, begin visualizing, man. I'm not living in the chicken coop. I am an eagle, and the eagles live above circumstances and above situations. Come on, let the Lord raise you up. You've been raised with him. The resurrecting power of Jesus is on the inside of you. Amen. And then praise God deeply for what God has done for you. Come on, how many of you glad that you, that you are not living in the old way, the dead life, the lost life, the life separated from God, unable to communicate with God? Come on, are you, in, are you glad that the Lord has brought you into his family and made you one of his children and given you a place at his banquet table where you can eat the best of the land and enjoy the spiritual inheritance that he paid such a high? Come on, I believe that deserves a praise right there. Amen. Come on, begin praising him. Come on, would you stand with me? Come on, let's just give the Lord just a good thanksgiving offering. Lord, thank you for making us alive. Thank you for saving us, delivering us. Thank you, Father God, for your grace upon us today. Come on, just begin to just open up your heart right now and let the spirit of the Lord, let the grace of God, let the anointing of God just touch you. Come on, the Lord wants to raise you up. Maybe you walked in here feeling down and low and defeated. Come on, maybe you failed. Maybe you fell short. But the Lord is saying, come on, I've raised you up. I've raised you up. Come on, let's get out of the chicken coop today. Come on, just close your eyes for a moment and think about that. Think about it for a moment. How many of you today could say without a doubt, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. Let me see your hands. Raise your hands. Just raise your hands to the Lord and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, just let him lift you up right now. Let him lift you up. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we love you. Lord, we honor you. We bless you. We praise you. Thank you, Father, for making us alive. We're alive. Come on. Like that valley of dry bones. Come on, the Lord wants to bring life in the dry bones, in the dead places. Come on, in the desert season. Come on, the Lord wants to bring life to you right now. Let the Spirit of the Lord, let the resurrecting power of Jesus be released over you right now. Father, we thank you and we praise you for the anointing and the Spirit of God that's in this place right now. Lord, Lord, we thank you and we praise you, Father. 
Come on, you have the ability to connect with God, to commune with God, to receive. Come on, you have the re- you have the, the the spiritually speaking, you have the equipment to be able to receive a signal from God, to be able to receive His love and His grace. Thank you, Father God. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Now, would it be a shame? Wouldn't it be a shame to just be coming to church and interested in the things of God, but never crossing the line, never asking the Lord to forgive you, never genuinely, sincerely, just just surrendering your heart to Jesus? If you would just do me a favor, if everybody would just put your hands down for a moment. Listen, if you're here today and you say, Todd, man, I'm not sure I'm a Christian, but man, I don't want to leave this building today before I know for sure that I'm a Christian. Leave it. Listen, you can receive salvation by faith, by just believing it and just opening up your heart to it. That's all you need is to be a believer that is willing to accept this gift. So if that's you, would you do me a favor and raise your hand and say, Todd, pray a prayer for me. Yes, ma'am. I see your hand anywhere anybody else just raise it high so I can see it I want to pray for you right back here anywhere else come on don't be timid don't be ashamed I'm gonna go for it today yes ma'am I see your hand yes ma'am I see your hand come on the spirit of the Lord yes sir yes sir yes ma'am I see your hand come on the spirit of the Lord is hovering in this place and he's just awakening people right now he's saying come on come on you here this morning because I want to bring you into my family now those of you that raised your hand do me a favor and raise both hands and say, Lord, I'm standing for you today. I'm standing for you today. Come on and pray this prayer with me. The Bible says it is by grace that you're saved through faith. It's not a result of anything that you could do. It's only in believing in the, in the grace and the, in the, in the mercy of God. So let's pray this together. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for shedding your blood so my sins could be forgiven. Lord Jesus, I'm ready. I'm ready to cross the line. I'm ready to give my heart to you. I want to live for you. I want to follow you. Lord Jesus, would you cleanse me, wash me, and receive me into your family. I surrender to you. Fill me with your power. Fill me with your presence. Thank you, Father, for accepting me today. In Jesus' name. I pray, amen and amen. Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord just a good Thanksgiving. And Lord, we love you. We honor you. We praise you, Lord. Now listen, those of you that prayed that prayer, if you would take a moment just to fill this uh, this card out and bring it into the lobby or bring it up here and uh, and we will have a Bible for you, just a few, uh, uh, just some material and stuff just to help you get started. We're not going to hassle you. We just want to support you and help you. Amen. And we want, to, we want to give you the tools that you need. Encourage you to get in our growth track and just connect. We're not having it today because of uh, Father's Day, but we'll start again next Sunday. Encourage you to just jump in. Well, amen. I'm, I'm glad I'm saved. What about you? Come on, let me pray a closing blessing and prayer over you. 
Lord, I pray the favor of God, the blessing of the Lord. Lord, I pray that, God, you would place your hand on each person, each family, each home that's represented here. Lord, I know that you love us all dearly and you love us, Lord, with an everlasting love. So I pray that, God, you would just give us, Lord, divine grace today. Lord, may the blessing and the favor and the prosperity of God be upon the people of God today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Fathers, happy Father's Day. We love you. We honor you. You have a wonderful day. And if you need prayer for anything, we'll have some prayer warriors up here to pray with you if you need it. God bless you. You're dismissed.